0: ma Yorana, you're listening to Tereva the only podcast currently documenting the voices and lives of Tahitian American families and couples, the long distance, the love stories, our lives between Tahiti and the United States of America, we present to you Tereva <laughs> Being the host for this podcast, as well as its creator, I'd like to introduce myself and my connection to all this. I'm Ryan, I'm currently 33 years old. I was born and raised in the United States of America, Northern California to be exact, in the San Francisco Bay Area. I work as a full-time community college department assistant, although I'm a former ESOL teacher, which is English as a second language. I also work for a nonprofit located across the bay from me in Oakland as a Cambodian cultural consultant and a project coordinator I speak multiple languages, which are English, French, Tahitian, Khmer, which is Cambodian, and some Thai. I define my role in life as, first, a husband to my wife, spouse, Vaidea Sam, and a father to two young boys um, this year in 2022. Uh, my oldest is five years old. His name is Tanerai. And my youngest is three. His name is Teura Tangaroa. And in addition to all those titles, I am also an educator by trade, a cultural practitioner, and definitely a writer. But to make sense of my story, I have to bring y'all back to the year 2006. Um, I was young, I was getting in several fights, I put my family in some danger due to the trouble I was getting into, and my parents were fed up with me. They clamped down saying I needed to start working, and to stay close to my dad, I took up Tahitian drumming, with him and my brother on weeknights. So the group we started with was new in the Bay Area, but my dad also took me to drumming workshops with him. And mind y'all, I I had no prior experience with anything Tahitian, Polynesian. Um, I'm not any type of Polynesian. There's none in my lineage. I had visited Hawaii a couple times, but it was really my pops, my dad, who was the one who was first interested in the culture. For our family, and so us kids, we just kind of uh, followed. My sister did some Taichan dancing, but it, it wasn't it wasn't at a serious level because she was still small. And yeah, my dad took me to a couple workshops on the side. Um, I remember going to workshops with Boy Timanaha, Uncle Kimo Beard, and Coco Hota, Hota which is the founder of the troupe De Maeva. Uh, after some stuff that went down, our family decided to leave that group, and we all picked up and went to the group Nemenzo in Daly City which is led by Auntie Elizabeth Burdeman, and that was by the end of 2007. And it was here that I left behind the drum line and joined the Tane line with other boys to learn how to dance oriteti, or Tahitian dance. During that time, Nomenzo was one of the few groups that frequently visited Tahiti, and they also had a lot of friends from Tahiti visiting the group. So I was very early on exposed to making friends with and learning from people who were visiting from Tahiti. And one of those friendships was their connection to the group Heikura Nui, which was legendary in Tahiti for their drumming, and they had won the Heva all throughout the 90s. Um, but it was in 2009 that I met, who would later become my future mentor, Papa Gerard Tepehu, who was Ra'atira Orero for the group Heikura Nui. From that year on, 2010, 2011, there were just so many times, a couple competitions that we had spent time with the members of Heikura Nui, um, mainly also Papa's children, who were visiting us here in the U.S. And my brother and I, we did what we could to look out for them when they were visiting here, show them a good time. Um, They did the same for us though. When we arrived in Tahiti the next year, it was my first trip, 2012. It was for the Fade Cultural Exchange event. And I was just stoked. I mean, my whole perspective about Tahitian culture, dance, everything just changed after that trip. The year after in 2013, Auntie Ali bestowed the position of Ra'atira Oraro to me, entrusted to deliver the formal speech in Tahitian language at Heiwa-i Honolulu. The texts were translated and worked on by Papa Girard and his family, and so this was a huge honor for me. Summer of 2013 followed this competition, which is when I went back to Tahiti with a few of the drummers, my group leader, and my brother. And I ended up being very fortunate to dance in the Heiwa-i-Taiti at Tawata stage as one of the Tane dancers for Heikuranui. Throughout this trip, Papa Gerard was behind my shoulder, keeping a watchful eye, and by the end of the trip, he encouraged me to return to Tahiti when I was done with college to teach English. I didn't know when that would be yet, but I agreed and I said I'd love to do that. 2014, I again was asked to serve as Ra'atira for Namenzo at Huda Teti in Anaheim. And again, the texts were not only translated by Papa Gerard and his daughters, but his youngest daughter, Emma, was visiting us in the San Francisco Bay Area, And so she had tutored me through the process of my pronunciation, my gestures, and performance. I had no clue, though, that her dad would be there in Anaheim. And ultimately, after the performance, he let me know he was proud and that I should continue on this path of learning and performing the Oredo. Gerard ended up telling my parents at that time I should go back to Tahiti to learn from him directly. And so through 2014 and into 2015, I kept in touch with his daughters, and I was asked for a third time to perform the Oredo for Nemenzo, this time for their trip to Tahiti for A 2015. And again, the texts were translated for the group by Papa Gerard and his daughters. I left in May that year and went to live with Papa Gerard and his family in faa Pamate. During the morning, Papa would wake me up, train me to memorize, understand, and perform my Oredo for Nemenzo, and then during the evenings, he and I would go to Vaitupa, to prepare with the group Tifana. I joined the Tane line as a dancer, and he was the orero for the group. On off nights, in exchange for my orero lessons, I offered to teach English for free to anyone who wanted to work on grammar, speaking, reading, writing. Arriving to Tifana Yahurai group was amazing. They were finished with the entire presentation. I loved the theme. Um, I had several tales to work on, and I had to learn it all quickly. During the Paoa portion, though, of course, I didn't expect to be chosen by any Vahine partner to get up and dance in the circle. But during the second round, a slim and long-legged Vahine grabbed my hand in the circle to dance as her partner. The first time we danced together, I got too close, and she accidentally smacked my cheek. And each practice, during full run run-throughs, the same girl grabbed me up to dance. And soon enough, I started asking the boys, hey, who's my partner? one of them pointed out to me during one of the weekend practices. I remember thinking to myself that she was, you know, she was attractive. <laughs> but I also reminded myself that I was there for a big job to do on stage when the group arrived, so I had to keep my eyes going forward. One afternoon, we were having an all-day rehearsal for the Heva and Tefana Yahudai practices were at a gym at Boheroa School along the border of Fa'an, Punavia. That night, Tefana would unveil their presentation to Tavana Oscar Temaru, mayor of the city, Fa. He was also the man that funded the group, so of course we had to bring our A-game. All the boys wore black shirts, and the girls wore red pareo with matching white Tefana shirts. I was outside getting some air, in between practice and lunch, and I saw a young couple sitting under the light rain under a tree. And on their speaker, they were listening to a remix of you know that John Legend song, All of Me? I ran in to get my phone and try to Shazam that version of the song so I could download it later, but by the time I got back outside, the couple was gone. So I just stood outside for a bit, looking out at the rain, and that's when I heard, Hey, Rayan." I turned around, and there was my Paoa partner standing there in a tiny white Tefana shirt, a red pareo tied around her waist. Her hair was long and worn down, hand on her hip and a cigarette in the other hand. She asked if I could hand her one of the flowers on the bush next to me. (laughs) I was so shy. I quickly tore one yellow off to hand to her. And I just remember from that night, I I couldn't stop thinking about her. But we didn't have many other interactions other than her attempting to speak French to me. She grabbed my arm in line one day, like asking about my Kamae tattoos. And later she revealed she didn't even know I was from outside. She thought I was a Chinese dude from Tahiti she had no clue i was an american so what i remembered about her at that time was she was not only um she wasn't the girl on the line with the tiniest patio she wore it right at her hip to her knees and she really looked effortless while she danced i saw her laughing a lot with others she always wore her hair down she had tattoos on her thighs and forearms and i always noticed the first thing was she had super long legs But anyway, that that image is always kind of sticks out to me. We performed at To'ata on the 3rd of July, 2015. Afterwards, the whole group was invited to get plate dinners at, actually, we took, I think we decided to go to Pohiroa, so the whole group went there. And my Pa'oa partner, Veda, she was there too. She sat on the right of my buddy, Teremu, as I was talking to him. And I was sitting on his left, deciding to have him help me translate. So I started asking questions about her, and she didn't seem weirded out as he translated, but she ended up walking away, and Teremu just looked at me and said, no, bro, she doesn't have a boyfriend. (laughs) So I swear, some people kind of just get it, right? I didn't see her again after those few nights because um, I left Papa Gerard's house to go stay in Ecole de Pinay in Tiperui City as the group had just arrived. And when they went back to the U.S., I returned to Papa Gerard's house for the rest of my trip, and we, pref- we prepared to go back out there and perform at Tefana Yahurai Yahudai, at other small heivas for the month, because as you all know, if you've been at Tahiti for the heiva, after the heiva Iteti at Tawata, those groups that are done at their main presentation, they go perform at the little heivas too, right? So you have those ones in Fa'a, Mataiya, Papara, and so the one we were preparing for was Heiva in Mataiya, all of us in the commune of Fa'a were to ride a big truck all the way to the city hall in And um, I remember just hearing from the truck someone calling my name, and it was Vaidea, so she was inviting me to ride in her friend's car. And everyone was, you know, doing the whole, like, woo thing. <laughs> so I was hella shy, but I, I hopped off the truck, and I, I got into her car. And I, you know what? I'm going to just cut all the long details short. We hit it off that night. We became a couple. Um, we ended up spending the rest of the week going on a couple double dates with other friends. We went to Piquet Dizuit uh, to relax on the beach. And then we had our first actual date to the movies, walking all the way from Fa'a City Hall to the cinema in Papete, which I was like winded trying to walk in the hot sun. But she did drive us around a lot of times in this tiny Volkswagen. Um, she had a medium pay. His, her name was Pokey, super sweet dog. And I started noticing all kinds of things about her, right? Like, she's super blunt, she's honest with others, but she's still super sweet and friendly, especially the Matayapo or older folks. She's super caring, loved her brother's kids, Tuyana and Hayari'i, and she basically told me she raised them from birth to the ages they were at the time. I just felt calm with her. I felt at ease. I didn't really feel like anything was forced. It just, it felt good. And I saw how much she loved her family. She was a costume designer. I learned that quickly. She was a weaver. I just saw how she lived her culture. I really admired that about her. Like, sometimes you just meet folks and um, all they know how to be is themselves, right? She's definitely one of those people. I ended up meeting her parents. You know, no fear on my end. Um, I knew how to speak to older folks and Be respectful. I just made sure that if they had questions to get to know me that, you know, they could be comfortable and talk to me too. And I just really didn't have any expectations. I trusted life and well, I knew it felt right. So yes, I was sad to leave Tahiti, but I had to go home and go back to work. And when I went back home, I applied for my master's program at CSU Fullerton, got in, so I had all these plans to move to LA, but I just couldn't stop thinking about Veda. And, you know, back then, we didn't really have the same kind of apps we use now. So we kept in touch using mainly Facebook Messenger, but we we had Skype back then still. Um, Tahiti wasn't really big on FaceTime in 2015. And so, you know, after some conversations, I decided that, like, fuck it. I was just going to buy her ticket. So I bought her a ticket with Air France, and she flew over from Tahiti to L.A., and it was my brother and his girlfriend at the time. The three of us met her at LAX airport, and we had this awesome trip. We went to Disneyland. You know, it was her first time in the United States. This was in January two thousand sixteen, and so it was just it was it was dope. It was I got to introduce her to my family, a lot of my friends. She saw our, our practices over there for the Oriteti group I was with, and um, it was just great. So. Anyway, she had to go home. She went home um, and ended up joining my home group, Hey Nui, for the Hava, And she was dancing as one of their pupau. And she was doing great. But I just, I couldn't stand to be away from her. So, you know, she missed me too. I sent for her to come back in March. So it happened very quickly, from January and then all the way to March 2016. And during this trip, we decided here in the states to talk to someone about our k-1 visa the k-1 visa is the legal fiance visa and how it works is usually you file it from the united states as the petitioner and then the um foreign or immigrant spouse to be would then apply for the k-1 um doing their interview at wherever their home embassy, U.S. Embassy was in their country. And then after it's all approved, then you fly them to the United States and you have to marry them within 90 days. So it was just a lot to take in. Like, I I know nothing about immigration, mind you. I'm this American boy raised, born in, you know, born in the United States, raised in the United States. I don't know anything about visas, but I did my research and I looked all like left and right, up and down for answers. There was just nothing out there about immigrating someone from French Polynesia to the United States. And I started this visa process. It was really scary. It it seemed really expensive. It seemed like it was going to be a lot of work. I was so desperate for advice. I looked on this website called Visa Journey, and lo and behold, there was one person out of thousands of entries, one person, who talked about her visa journey from Polynesian francais or Tahiti to the United States. And that person is now my friend Heiani. And so she was super nice. She let me know her whole saga from basically meeting a guy from Hawaii, I believe. And, you know, I hope to have her on the show later on, but yeah, she, she filed for the K-1 visa. I found out something really really difficult which is that Polynesian francais they don't have their own american embassy u.s embassy in tahiti they actually share a u.s embassy with other small pacific countries and their embassy is in suva fiji so hayani went all the way to fiji for her k-1 and then made her way to marry her american spouse in the united states so just trying to wrap my mind around that i'm like You know, back then, too, mind you, to get to Tahiti, we couldn't go from SF to Tahiti. We had to go through L.A., so I was doing the math. I was like, there's like six flights involved just for this K-1. It'd be SF to L.A., and then I'd want to go with her, of course, to Fiji because I'm not going to expect her to go on her own, right? So from Tahiti, she'd have to fly to—we'd have to fly to either Honolulu or she'd meet me in L.A., and then from there, we'd go to— nadi which is the main airport in fiji and then from there we'd have to fly or drive eight hours to Suva, and so it was just it seemed crazy i didn't even think that it was possible and guess what happened guys she was home and by april 2016 she let me know she's pregnant <laughs> so immediately she dropped from heikura she dropped out of the Hava, and i talked to the woman that was helping us file the k-1 we did the math, and we said, wow, she'll be eight months pregnant by the time the K-1 is ready for her to be filed, for her to go to Fiji. They won't let her on a plane with a big pregnant stomach. What are we going to do about that? I'm going to tell you right now, I had to drop the K-1, meaning I paid for it. I didn't get refunded. We just had to drop it completely. Like, there's, there's no looking back at that kind of thing, so... I just accepted the loss and decided, you know, be happy about the good news. I'm about to have a baby. So um, I packed up my bags again, and I left for Tahiti in May so that I could join my pregnant girlfriend. And um, I was very happy too, because I went back for a third time to the Hei Teiti with Hei Nui. And it was on this trip that I proposed to her. Uh, I got down on one knee, old school style. I, I presented a ring. Her parents were there, my friends were there, my brother was there. It was awesome. It was uh, at the Hevahri Ma'i, which is where her mother works and and does a lot of projects. So we're probably the only couple to ever get it, you know, engaged at the Hevahri Ma'i. But anyway, after we were engaged, I went back in August to the United States to continue working, and I I decided that I'd go back for the birth. So we found out we're having a boy. His due date was December 9th. You know, I got my ticket. It was all good and. Guess what happened? I missed his birth. Yes, I know. Just, I look back, it's 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 hurtful to me, but, you know, there was nothing we could do, right? Because like I explained, we couldn't go from SF straight to Tahiti, so there was an extra layer of the trip, which is getting to L.A. And so just, it just didn't work. He was born early. He was born on the um, sacred Maohi holiday of Matari'i'i Nia, and he was born on November 18th. Only her mother was with her. So yes, my Tanerai was born. Um, I wasn't there, but when I went, um, you know, it, it, it's hard for me to talk about, even on a podcast. It still, it still bothers me to this day that I missed his birth. I wasn't there in person. I got there about a week later, um, and I was just in love all over again. Not just you know now, not just Valeria, but also Tanerai, my son. It was just amazing to become a father and he looked just like me so it's just completely out of this world to have those feelings i just i couldn't bear to leave them there so from there we had to have a plan and um i actually ended up getting an attorney for us just to help us with all this visa process and you know the original plan was Bring Vedea and Tanerai to the United States to meet my parents and be with our family for Chinese New Year. In February of 2017, they came over and, you know, working at the attorney's office, we just, we couldn't bear to be apart. So we went ahead and got married in Redwood City in March of 2017, just one day before her birthday, which is March 24th. And then I filed for the I-485, which is the change of status. So she had come over on a tourist visa, which permitted her to stay for 90 days. Remember, we dropped the K-1, so by now we were just bringing her here on a tourist visa, her and Tanidae. And then I filed the 485, which also cost a pretty penny, but it was worth it ultimately because you know we got to stay together as a family, and that's ultimately what I wanted. I didn't, I didn't want to see my child being raised in Tahiti without me I didn't want to do any more back and forth I didn't want to have to worry about all these things about Fiji Tahiti Hawaii California it was just it was nuts so you know I did what anybody would do who's just completely madly in love with their child and their and their and their spouse which is do whatever you can to stay together and um anyway I moved them here with Just being honest, I didn't really have, like, that solid of a plan. And um, we were living with my family until some stuff happened, and I had to move to Vallejo, because that's where we could afford it. And so, Veda, you know, during that time, she couldn't go home to Tahiti, because part of the rules for the 485 is that you're working towards a green card, ultimately. And so, what happens is for one whole year from the time you file the 485, you cannot go home to your home country. You have to stay in the United States for one whole year without working, um, basically your status statusless. You don't have any papers um, while they work on those things. And I was really lucky that I did this right before Trump came into office because when Trump came into office, a lot of the rules changed for immigration and USCIS. So, I know that with the change of administration between Obama to Trump, there was just a big shift in some of the immigration policies at that time. And so, I think it was USCIS. It's never like the president who decides that, but it's the Bureau of, um, you know, immigration folks under the president who are trying to change things up. And so, anyway, we, we got in right before... The really difficult period that I know folks were saying that their paperwork was held up for like over a year, so we got really lucky about that. But we were living in Vallejo. It was it was hard because um, I had commuted between Vallejo and my job in San Bruno, which is about an hour's drive or more. So I'd wake up at six, I I'd get to work um, by you know seven thirty or eight. I'd be at work all day from eight to four. I'd get on the road by five. I'd make it home by 6 or 7.30 at night. And so that whole time that we were living in Vallejo, Vallejo had no job. And Tanerai and Vallejo were cooped up in this apartment. You know, she didn't really know how to speak English at the time. So it just wasn't ideal. And as soon as we could move over to this side of the bay so that I could have a little more family support, be closer to my job, everything, Uh, gosh, it was a life saver and a game changer, just being honest. Um, we did move over back to the San Francisco side of the Bay Area, which is the peninsula San Bruno, right under San Francisco. And, um, we had another blessing on the way. She got pregnant with my second son, Teura Tangaroa, who was born in November also like his brother, but in 2018. And at that time, we filed finally for the 751, which is the, um, visa to get rid of the, um, the temporary status basically and so she was able to get her green card and in 2020 it came renewed for another 10 years so through that whole process i think i just took y'all from basically my whole journey in <laughs> getting involved in Tahitian culture to why i ended up in tahiti to how i met her to um us becoming a couple her visiting working on the k-1 having to drop the k-1 because she got pregnant me missing the birth of my son And then into the different visas that she's had to, we've had to file together. It took me about 20 minutes worth of, what is that, like five years from 2017 to 2021. And it's just been nuts. Um, Anyway, I moved her here to the United States because we love each other. We want to be together. But one of the most difficult things is that, especially in the San Francisco Bay Area, there's no Tahitian community here. There's no diaspora of Tahitian people. There's not even a population of people that um, are French-speaking. I mean, there's there's people from France, and they speak French and stuff like that. We meet people here and there. But there's no one from polynésie francais And um, I knew, though, that my friend Hayani, she had let me know to get advice from another friend of both of ours actually is just um, my friend Julie. She's in Las Vegas. And so I knew that Hayani and Julie were in Honolulu, which is where Heyani is Las Vegas, which is where Julie is. And so I was just telling Vedea about them and she, she was saying, I'd like to meet them. I want to make friends with other Haitian women that live here. And so I was deciding whether to do a um, group chat or group, on Facebook, because at that time it was kind of new. And so I ended up doing a um, group on Facebook. And we just, we didn't even think too hard about it. We just named it Tahitian American Families and Couples, because that's exactly who it was. It was me and Vaidea, Hayani, Julie, and their spouses. And we were just thinking about how are we going to introduce Vaidea with other folks. And so that's how that group got started. It was really from just six people. Or like three couples and today it's 250 members strong so I'm really proud of that progress that we've made to create a community um, because just just being honest like l- let me let me break down the community here in the US right this is also part of why we created the group the podcast and other projects on their way um, so Veda has gotten it the chance to meet folks in the ori community that i was already connected with but she doesn't feel any connection to the ori community outside of her homeland i mean she understands that um there are folks that practice ori learn Tahitian culture and visit tahiti but it, it for people from tahiti it really doesn't have anything to do with them unless they're being asked to help or for advice or something like that so you know there's just some things in the community that she's seen that um she and I have talked about that is really different between the United States ority community and then Tahitian culture and dance that lives on in Tahiti and Polynesian Francais. And one of those things is like a lot of these competitions that I'll bring her to, she's happy to connect with the judges and speak to them and see other friends of mine that she's become close with. But one of the big things is um, in, in the United States, they focus a lot on these competitions being for soloists so that means that dancers will line up and judges pick the dancer they like and that's just not that i mean there's solo competitions now today in tahiti but in the past when she was growing up how she's explained it to me is that oriteti was meant to be um basically for the community for the group for for the greater good of your commune or district and that's that's how she saw the hava and that's how she saw Tahitian competitions so when i bring her to these events i'm really happy to connect with folks but you know she and i are not always on the same page about um how we see those events in that community and so having an actual tahitian american community of folks that share genealogy that share family ties they share ancestral ties that's really important just like any other diaspora out there so Let me pause for a minute on that note. I just want to thank all our friends and the community members from both the Samoan and Tongan communities that have taken my wife in because while she was here, she did find a lot of comfort in a lot of my Tongan friends and a lot of my Samoan friends. They really made her feel at home. Um, In absence of Tahitian people being here, she connects with Samoan and Tongan folks in the US I mean, it's just natural. Like, I could see it. She's able to joke with them and have the same kind of sense of humor that they do. It's that poly sense of humor, you know. Um, It's it's not just that, but it's also, like, being able to understand, like, they're also devout Christians. A lot of them are. And, you know, so is she and her family. And um, also, you know, just, like, the food, the behaviors. I mean, all of it. Like, even if English isn't her second or even third language, it's actually her fourth. Um, it's that someone in Tongan community in the United States, in California, that really made her feel at home. But since we made that group to american families and couples, we've been so lucky because we, we've been able to connect with other folks. Um, she found, She's found a couple family members even, folks that she's distantly related to, but there are other couples like us, and for us to connect with them online is just amazing they they might even all know each other already but we didn't know them before and so there's also a community of folks that um there are Tahitians that moved here in the 60s 70s 80s and had children so we're able to connect with those children which are individuals who are half tahitian and half either hawaiian or american you know like white american or asian american as well and so it's just been it's been a great journey and um Starting that Tahitian American Families and Couples group was, um, it seemed like a small thing at the time, but actually ended up being a bigger step into where we feel we want to be at in terms of raising our children around other Tahitian folks outside of Tahiti, um, in lieu of moving back and being there in Tahiti, polynesian francais So we were really lucky, too, that last year we had this big meetup at Farida's house. Shout out to Farida. Thanks for hosting all of us. Um, But Farida and some of the aunties that live in L.A., they had a big tamara'a. And they invited um, us and other Tahitians that live in L.A. and Orange County. And it was just a great time. I I saw my wife really light up. I saw her feel like she's comfortable again. and it's just, it's been a game changer to connect with all these families, you know, um, with my, my boy, Ty, which is also my wife's cousin, with Tati Marie and her daughter, Cybele, um, with Vajere and her daughters. I'm, I'm really, really fortunate that we made friends with all these people, and I'm hoping that they become future episodes for this podcast, because I really want to share people's amazing stories of how they decided to immigrate to the U.S. from Polynesian francais or how they grew up as a Tatian american person in the United States because I think that those narratives are really uh, a scaffold for my children to see and understand and listen to and know where their place is as they're growing up outside of Tahiti. So the way of idea and I see it is that, you know, our kids could totally understand and learn things from me as their father. but. I always have just this American point of view. I'm an American. And it's the same for her, being their mother. She's Tahitian. She's from Polynesian Francais. She's from French Polynesia. So you know, they'll have really this straight-up American dad and straight up Tahitian mom. So for my kids to hear narratives and understand perspectives of folks like them who are half Tahitian and half American or some other nationality that's really valuable for me because my children have a really unique point of view. So for all those out there that are listening um, who I, I have shared this podcast with first, um, I want you all to know that I really value our friendships with you, and um, I really want to have you all share on this platform um, in audio form uh, more about how your journey's been and what it's like to raise your children outside of Polynesian Front You know, we have that Asian American families and couples group, but I'm not going to go changing the status of it from private to public because there's a lot of personal information in there. So, you know, on this podcast, we have the ability to choose what we want to share and how we want to share it. And I feel like that's really valuable in terms of building an actual Asian American community in the different diasporas that already exist. There's one in SoCal, there's one in Utah. There's one in um, Hawaii, and there's one in Florida. You know, how can we bridge all those together? We've been talking about doing a big family reunion-style meetup, and COVID's just gotten in the way, but it's, it's all these efforts that some folks are trying to make, um, like this one right here on this podcast, that my true intention is to really bridge all those communities together so that our kids feel that they have a sense of community all this work we're doing i don't feel like we now are going to be able to necessarily enjoy what we're working towards it's really for the kids right because i i want one day for tanerae and teura tangaroa to look back and say wow you know my parents um they raised us back and forth between the united states and tahiti but while we were in the States, even though there's not a big Tahitian diaspora where we lived, my parents made a lot of effort to connect us with, introduce us to other children that are like me, um, and, and be around other Tahitian people in the States, listen to my language, hear the live music being played, smell and taste the, the ma'atayti being made. I mean, those are the, the memories I want them to have. I don't know what it'll, it'll take to get there. But I'm willing to do my part, and I hope that this podcast is one step in the right direction. So to everybody listening, I want to say "modudu" for hearing my story. Um, in the next episode, I hope to have my wife allow me to interview her. So she's supposed to be episode number two. And I hope that you tune back in to hear her side of how we met and all that, or whatever she wants to share and any other future episodes that we have coming up. Again, marudu maruduroa. Thank you, and take care, guys.